Hello, and welcome to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Our podcast series is designed to educate, challenge, and inspire listeners while keeping you updated on developments regarding modern trust law and powerful planning opportunities available, all in an effort to deliver direction and control to clients and their advisors. This is David Warren, Chairman of Bridgeford Trust Company and co-founder, here with another installment of our podcast series, which, uh, thanks to so many of you, has become widely listened to across the country and now even around the world. And we've had the pleasure of interviewing some tremendous guests, uh, thought leaders, uh, and and real pillars of our industry, the financial uh, services and wealth planning industry, and of course, today is no exception. I have wanted to interview David James for a while now. Uh, we met many years ago at a conference called Hackerling, uh, which just ended this past week. And uh, it's the, sort of the industry world series for the kind of work that David and I do and the people that I interview do. And uh, I was really struck with David when I, when I first met him. He had recently joined Coastal Bridge Advisors, which he will describe for you. Um, and uh, at the time, he was a little bit new to modern trust law and the planning opportunities there. And and we really connected and had some some deep conversations and answered a lot of questions for one another about how we could collaborate to serve clients when you when you take it into consideration what can be done with modern trust law, as well as David's expertise in building portfolios and particularly tax efficient portfolios using alternative investments. And so over the years, we've had the great pleasure to not only develop a, a great friendship but also um, great collaboration on, on multiple clients and families together. Um, not only on the West Coast, but really around around the, the country. Um, I'm excited to have David here with us, and I, I want to kind of begin with a with a quote uh, that I, I found from David that I, I think is really instructive and a great way to begin, which is, um, this is David James speaking, I have learned the importance of listening. When I was young, I thought that people wanted to hear all about what we can do for them, but it didn't take long to realize that each client is facing their own unique challenges, and it's only through a well-practiced conscious approach to listening, that an advisor can really deliver high quality solutions. And, and the reason why that resonated with me, because it took me years in my career to learn to just stop talking and listen more and, uh, and, and get to really the heart of what people are looking for, not only just in the trust planning, planning space, but wealth management overall. So David, you've had a tremendous career. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast. And so welcome and tell us that, tell us about that quote and give us a background if you could of, of to how you got from there to here and then we'll get into your expertise. Yeah, terrific. Thank you, Dave. And I really appreciate you having me on the, uh, on the show today. Um, yeah, I got started 30 years ago at Merrill Lynch uh, and um, you know, spent the last 30 years working with high net worth families. Today, we, we work with about 135 families and, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty much everything to them financially. So chief investment officer, uh, you know, we, we are also, uh, you know, they're planners. Uh, and our job really is, as you say, to, to listen carefully and to make sure that we express, you know, that client's objectives, you know, in the financial plan and in the investment plan. Well, and I've seen it firsthand. I, I, I know you might not be quick to volunteer this, but I can tell our listeners, um, you know, every advisor has, I think, certain specialties. And one of the things I've noticed about David is the, the clients he works with um, that I've met firsthand, some of which really rely on David and don't make many moves really without talking to him. And so I think that 
um, the relationship that he builds and has built has built over the last thirty years to me is pretty pretty astounding and sort of transcends the traditional definition of what it is an advisor. So congratu- congratulations on that. And, and if you could sort of lead me to or lead us to, you know, what is it that you're most passionate about in terms of the overall client relationship? What is it that really drives you in terms of your problem solving for them? Yeah, gosh, that is a great question. Well, as you pointed out initially, listening very, very carefully because every client is different. They're they're all unique in um, you know in, in in many important ways. But at the same time, people investors are similar in 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 certain respects. And one of the things that we've found over time is that wealthy families tend to really value consistency of returns and wealth preservation during difficult environments. And so most of our portfolios are built to um, enhance consistency and to um, they're built to perform well when the markets are flat down or choppy, at least relative to the market environment. And so, um, you know, again, there are exceptions to that, but generally wealthy investors are looking to hit singles and doubles rather than, you know, go for home runs, which also include a lot of strikeouts, as you know. Yeah. Well, that's not an easy task, though. What you, what you, what you just described made it sound easy, but there's a lot that goes into it. And, and over the years of experience, what, what, what are the factors that you look into to, to make what, what you sounded simple? Uh, uh, well, it's the end user realizes it may be simple, but it's not so simple to create. So talk about the process. Yeah. Okay. Great. I'll try to keep this as high level as possible because it's a uh, you know to to really do it full justice. It's a long conversation, but we believe that most investors and even most advisors don't diversify properly. Um, we 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 learned this uh, very um, you know very very significantly during the uh, the period after the great financial crisis. We were seeing new clients come in who had what appeared to be diversified portfolios in terms of they had lots and lots of different investments, but those investments all, you know, performed the same way, you know, in the third and fourth quarters of 2008. And so uh, we've put a tremendous amount of time over the years into studying, you know, really how investments work within a portfolio. And that goal, of course, is to create true diversification so that if you have something in the portfolio that's not doing all that well, you have it offset by something that, you know, is in fact performing well. Mm-hmm. Well, which is, a, which is a great segue, I think, with your strategy into 2022. What happened? You know, I, I think some are saying it's the worst ever um, in, in, in some cases, or maybe that's dramatic, but it was a, it was a tough year. So, Describe in your view what made it so tough and, and what you did uh, to, for your portfolios and clients to help them navigate through it. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll start by taking you back a few years, about four or five years ago. You know, first off, we always emphasize that, you know, we certainly don't have um, the ability to see the future any better than anybody else. But four or five years ago, we were looking at the lay of the land, and it was clear to us that fixed income was really going to be challenged going forward. Interest rates were at 200-year lows. Um, You know, there was, you know, investors were sort of doing exactly the wrong thing when when rates are low. They were either extending their maturities or they were uh, lowering the quality of their investments. And, And both of those things generally don't end well. 
And so at the time, we made a decision. We didn't know when uh, interest rates would rise. We just felt confident that it would happen at some point. And so we made the decision to, to, uh, to underweight high-quality fixed income, just fixed income in general. And we, uh, we went out and we found uh, some strategies that we sort of loosely call fixed income alternatives. Those strategies, by and large, perform quite well through this most recent period. And so before we get into what they are, I'll just say that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the level of interest rates that we were seeing four or five years ago or even, you know, even two years ago were, in, in our opinion, they were unsustainable. And, um, and sure enough, you know, you had this, uh, this surge of inflation and it led to, you know, a big spike in interest rates in 2022. And you had, lo and behold, you had the worst year for the bond market in many decades. Well, and, it's, and it sounds like the key to a lot of this from your portfolio construction is looking at alternatives. And I would love for you to identify something earlier, fixed income alternatives. I think that's something I'd love you to identify and, and define more specifically. I can tell you, I first learned about alternatives back before I got involved with starting Bridgeford and when I was a bank in New York Mellon and understood generally back then, you know, that to me, <laughs> hedge funds and, and um, private equity funds, but, but it's become much more diverse in terms of the alt, alt space, I guess, at this point. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, Going back to all the way back to the 90s, um, there were some investment luminaries at the time, such as David Swenson over at the Yale Endowment, who were who were investing pretty heavily in various alternative investments. And um, and, you know, by and large, you know, these these particular uh, individuals, uh, notably Swenson, did did very well over the years. Um, we simply came to the conclusion, you know, again, several years ago that the traditional 60-40 portfolio was, um, you know, just wasn't as attractive as it used to be. Um, you know, it used to be that the fixed income portion of your portfolio generated a, a 5% yield and, uh, and behaved well when, uh, you know, when stocks went down. Um, but that had, that had the, the potential for that had really changed. And so, what we what we've done over the last few years is we've allocated capital to private debt, specifically some collateralized lending strategies. Um, we look for strategies that are unleveraged and where the collateral is very high quality, and where the manager has a long track record um, of delivering attractive returns, and you know, and they have a good record as solid underwriters. Um, in doing that, it's important to point out, we call them fixed income alternatives simply because they behave like fixed income. They're stable. They generate income. The income is very predictable, very much like bonds, but they're not bonds. And so last year, for instance, you know, the bond market had a really rough year. These strategies, by and large, were up you know, between 8 and 10% for the year. Wow. So in your view, then, this is, this is what enhances diversification, this ability to, to use alternative investments. And, and can you get, get into more, more of that um, in terms of, because I know you had said that was in the past, one of the biggest misnomers was people weren't, when they said diversification, they didn't mean it. But this sounds like the solution to really being diversified from what I'm hearing you say. Well, the key to diversification is really to study investments and how they behave, you know, in relation to each other. And while there's always, um, you know, new things that you learn, 
as we sort of move through time, you know, certain historical patterns do tend to hold hold true. And so, um, you know, what we look at is what what's referred to as the correlation of these investments to to markets, and we also look at the correlation of these investments to each other. And so, what we found with private debt is that it just behaved very differently than stocks and bonds. And, um, and that was something that was attractive to us from a diversification standpoint. So collateralized lending, that, that is a, a specific example? Yeah, it's, mo- it's generally called uh, private debt. Some people refer to them as non-bank lenders. But if you want to get just a little more specific, you know, we, we refer to it as collateralized lending. Got it. And, and how do you find these these pools to invest in? I guess um, if it's not if it's um, private lending, where, where's the source for you to fill your portfolios uh, with this asset class? Yeah, it's an alternative asset class. Generally speaking, you can't find it in mutual funds, mm-hmm. and so um, generally, an individual investor can really use can really you know solicit the help of an advisor, you know, who has familiarity with the asset class to help them source, you know, candidates for, for their portfolio. It's a tough thing to do on your own as an individual investor. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's where I was going with that question because it seems that, you know, in order to access these types of sophisticated vehicles, it's, you got to have the right advisor and you're obviously one of them. Um, and so non-bank lenders, define, define that for me. Are we talking private equity funds? What do we, give me some more definition around that. So I, the way to think about it is it's really, you know, a non-bank lender is just a, uh, you know, a professional manager with underwriting experience where the capital that they're lending, you know, happens to be uh, pooled by a group of accredited investors who, uh, you know, who, who, who have the wherewithal to do that sort of thing. Um, you know, the reason that it's so attractive to a borrower and it can, there, there are, you know, a number of reasons, but the primary reason is that, you know, a borrower, let's say somebody's going to buy, you know, they're looking to buy a, you know, a large multifamily complex and they're going to put down 50% of the purchase price, uh, you know, out of pocket and they're going to borrow the other 50%. Uh, a non-bank lender can, 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 can offer that loan in a relatively brief period of time could be three mm-hmm. weeks, could be a month. Mm-hmm. You do that mm-hmm. same loan through a traditional commercial bank and, you know, it could be four to eight months. And so, um, so buyers of commercial real estate, for instance, use these types of lenders as a tool to get a job done. Got it. No, that makes a lot of sense. And where are the, how, how are the rates compared to a traditional lending um, scenario? So it's, yeah, it's expensive money. You know, which is good mm-hmm. if you're the lender, um, and it's <laughs> sure. also it's also fine if you're the borrower, as long as it's a relatively short term loan. So yeah. you know, the terms on these loans might be twelve months, um, and the borrower uses it again, as I said, as a tool to get the job done. Um, but once that 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 transactions complete, they're going to go out and start to look for and secure you know lower cost long term financing. Because the maturity on this is only going to be a year. Got it. I understand. Well, no, I, I see the, the why the approach is so unique, <clears throat> and you know, I still, I think not a, not a lot of people, or maybe even enough people, are talking about the power of uh, 
alternative investments in an overall portfolio construction. And so that that speaks to, of course, diversification. Let's talk about tax efficiency in conjunction with the use of alternative investments. I know that's something that um, you you are very good at. Um, we, we work together in that context and the idea of, of placing uh, investments in portfolios inside of trusts inside of the right jurisdiction. So talk to me how they all work together to not only have great diversification, but great tax efficiency. Yeah, it's a great question. One of the only drawbacks to these alternative investment strategies, they do tend to be less tax efficient. Now, that's not always the case. There are exceptions. You know, for instance, we allocate capital to a to a lender who's structured as a REIT. And because they're a REIT, we do get some preferential tax treatment on that income. But um, to take it a step further, for, uh, for high net worth individuals in a high tax state, using state-specific trusts, for instance, South Dakota, um, can can really help to improve the tax efficiency of an, you know, of an entire portfolio, but um, really kind of take the edge off the tax inefficiency of some of these alternative investments. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think that um, not all states are created equally, and you've heard me say a lot of times the uh, Selection or site of selection is sometimes as important as the decision to even create a trust in, in the first place. And um, I think you take these big picture, big idea thinking on the investment side in conjunction with modern trust law, and there's a potential for sure to hit the home run, which I know you do quite frequently. Um, some final thoughts on alternative investments generally, and, and, and how do you think they all fit in overall? And, and, and what do you think the future is for these, these types of vehicles? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you can make a strong argument just purely because of the diversification correlation statistics that having a portfolio of traditional investments and alternative investments is just a better way to build a portfolio. Okay. I think you can make that case pretty convincingly. But in this environment where we may very well be seeing you know, an enhanced level of inflation that goes on for a while, at least relative to what we became accustomed to in the, uh, you know, the, the post-financial uh, you know, crisis period, I think you could make an argument, a very strong argument, that these alternative investments have the potential to, um, to uh, allow you to generate a higher average annual return, you know, over time than, you know, traditional stocks and bonds may provide. Now, this is obviously we're looking into the future here. um, But Mm -hmm. if you think about it, you know, we did have a lot of uh, tailwinds there for a long time, primarily in the form of lower interest rates. Now, interest rates, you know, have begun rising, you know, they may be moderating a little now, but um, you could you could easily see I think an environment where stocks and bonds produce, you know, modest returns and simply by weaving in some, you know, well-positioned alternative investments, you could, um, you know, you could improve those returns, you know, by and large in this environment. Well, I was going to ask you some questions about your thought on inflation. So you've already got there before I did. I mean, I, did you anticipate this level of inflation to in, in, in the way it accelerated so quickly? What are your what are your thoughts on this historically? Not at all. I mean, it it okay. caught us as much by surprise as I think it did the Fed. But um, having mm-hmm. said that, several years ago, this is I, I would say this is the way we think. We know that we can't see around corners. 
So what we do at any given time is we just look at the lay of the land and we say, you know, where is value? And several years ago, as I pointed out, we thought that, that fixed income, particularly high quality fixed income, was very overvalued. And so we took that down in the portfolios and we didn't get out of it, you know, but we took it down. And we also reduced our average duration on the, you know, on the portion that we still had within the portfolios. And then we allocated the difference to these fixed income alternatives. And so um, it was really based just simply on an assessment of where value was at the time. Now, having said that, I think fixed income is starting to get kind of sexy again to a certain degree. I think there's some value there in certain corners of the fixed income market. So I think that's a good thing going forward. I think it speaks well to returns going forward from fixed income. It's not as out of favor as it used to be. And I don't expect the performance gap between the alternatives and fixed income to be as dramatic as it's been, you know, over the last several years. Mm -hmm. Fixed income and sexy are not the two words I thought would ever be in a sentence, but uh, you did it, <laughs> and it, and, and, it came, and it came off very well. No, I mean, it's very clear to me, and, and I'm sure our listeners, David, that what you're doing is special, and the way you approach uh, portfolio construction um, is special. You know, I, I, even the way you still do it, meaning a lot of advisors don't do it the way you do it. They, they kind of outsource it, or they... They, they spend more time gathering than they do actually building portfolios. And I think that is how you learn how to do the business and how you continue to do the business. So juxtapose that for me because I, I can be very honest and blunt with you. A lot of, a lot of folks I've met around the country um, don't get to a level of specificity. They kind of throw people in funds or ETFs or whatever and move on to finding their next client. But that clearly is not your model. Yeah, that's a good point. Um I have a real passion for markets and investment strategies, and it's it, it's been that way for a long, long time. So I spend probably you know an inordinate amount of time researching new investment strategies and thinking about portfolio construction. Um, it's just something that I really enjoy doing, and you know, and so I think that's you know I think that's the answer to that. Well, and it explains why your clients are so loyal and rely on you uh, so much. And, you know, I, I meant to mention at the beginning, you know, your reputation in Southern California in particular is is excellent. Um, you know, everybody who knows you or tells me they know you say nothing but great things. And clearly your intellectual power around building portfolios is making a difference for your clients. And, you know, the friendship and the collaboration that we've built over the years has been um, just amazing to see what we can do with your your expertise on one side and our expertise on the other to serve clients uh, collaboratively has been just amazing to watch. And David, we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. As I said, I've wanted to do this for a while and you're hard to catch because you're often in the ocean somewhere surfing or, or something like that. So thanks for coming out of the water and, 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 uh, and having the opportunity to speak with me for a bit. I, I promised I wasn't going to talk too much about you personally, but I have to tell our audience when I, when I first met David at Heckling all those years ago, you know, he, he had his hair was a little longer in the back and I thought, wow, this guy looks like a surfer. And in fact, you are, and you used to be a competitive surfer. Am I right? Yeah, that's going back a while, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll put pictures of you back when you were competitive surfer up uh, for our podcast people to view, in addition to your uh, bio, which certainly will be here. So I encourage our listeners, at a minimum, David's picture that's uh, posted on the Coastal Bridge website <laughs> will be on ours, as well as his contact information. I, I highly encourage you uh, to reach out to David, um, particularly in the area around um, 
what he calls a sexy fixed income approach or really the alternative investment space altogether because he is doing something very special in portfolios. And uh, David, I thank you again, not only for being here, but for our friendship uh, and the work we've done together. I look forward to many more years of collaboration and uh, and I hope that uh, hope that you uh, stay safe next time you're in the water. Is there anything you'd like to add before we uh, before we wrap up? No, I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much for taking the time. And um, yeah, I too look forward to continuing the friendship. Perfect. Once again, David James, Coastal Bridge. He's based in LA, a tremendous advisor, a good friend of Bridgeford. Uh, Thank him again for joining and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. Thanks again for listening to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep posted on when new episodes are added. And for more information, you can visit us online at bridgefordtrust.com.